Good to have you here. A lot of sickness sweeping through our church right now and a lot of folks out of town this weekend, but we're glad that you all are here. A couple of reminders before the message this morning. Just two I want to emphasize because they are the last, this is the last Sunday to sort of get in on it. The first is the uh, helping out our uh, sister church there in Mexicali, Mexico, Pastor Miguel's church. There are still several tags on there for our children from the church to help them out. And we need the stuff actually back next Sunday because then we're going to have a group of folks from our church take it to them the following week. So next Sunday is actually the last Sunday to bring the stuff in. So that means this Sunday, if you want to help us out there and help a, a child down in, in Mexicali have a wonderful Christmas something more than what they normally could have, today's the last day to grab a tag off of that tree out there. So please see those ladies out there after the service is over. And then, ladies, speaking of ladies, this Thursday night is the ladies' Christmas dinner here at the Oasis. And we invite all of you ladies to sign up and go to that this Thursday night. So please see my wife, Lisa. She will be at the women's table right out in the lobby again after church, and she would love to talk with you about that and have you all sign up for that. Again, that's this coming Thursday night. Hard to believe we're into December, isn't it? Where has the year gone? I have a feeling 2018 is going to be even faster, you know, as we start to see the, the church being built and going up, things are going to really, I think, accelerate around here. So today we are in the book of Jude, the next to last book of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation, and we are on message four out of five messages out of this very short 25 verses, but very powerful book that comes towards the end of the scriptures. And it's a very timely, relevant message for us. Uh, who are living in the days in which we are living. In fact, I wanted to start out by saying this. Used to be, when I was growing up, obviously, that if you lived in America, our country, you sort of felt safe. The things that you saw on television and you read about in the newspapers, you know, were always happening far away or in other places. And then all of a sudden, you know, then our country, it's like, oh, we, we don't feel totally safe anymore. And then even beyond that, there were certain times when, you know, growing up and in previous generations where you felt safe in certain zip codes of our country more than you did others. I mean, I can remember growing up in Maryland and though we didn't live in the city of Baltimore, there, there were certain places in the city of Baltimore you didn't want your car to break down, you know. So there were always certain zip codes that felt safer than others. But obviously we've come to a place where crime and, and drugs and everything affects every zip code now. There, there's not any place that is unaffected by what's going on in society. And then, obviously, for churchgoers, there's sort of always been that sense of, well, I, I feel safe at church, right? 
That's one place where I feel safe. And then we certainly were reminded just a couple weeks ago about the tragedy in the church at Texas there that even those who go to church, you're not necessarily always safe. In other words, we've really come to a place where we're never totally, completely safe in this world. That there's always that idea of I, I've got I've to have some vigilance. I've got to be alert to what's going on around me. Uh, that's just sort of the reality that we live in. And yet some 2,000 years ago, way back when Jesus had not been that long off the earth, that Jude is writing to a group of Christians and he says, you know what, believers? He said, you and I have to have that same mentality when it comes to our spiritual life and even life within the church. The very first things he reminds them of in, in chapter 1 of, of Jude in verse 17 and 18 is that we are to always be conscientious because there's never a time where we are completely safe, even within the church, from false teaching, from false doctrine, from false prophets and false teachers. If they were prevalent 2,000 years ago... In the church, then Jude says, how much more so are they today, 2,000 years later? That's why he writes in verse 17 and 18, But you, dear friends, recall the predictions foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, in the end times there will come scoffers propelled by their own ungodly desires. These people are divisive, worldly minded, and devoid of the Spirit. And he's saying to them, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, it's not about thinking, well, there's just uh, untruth and lack of truth and lack of belief and absolute truth out there in society because we live in a day and age of relativism. No absolute truth. Jude says, you realize that kind of anti-sort of God and anti-Bible philosophy has crept into the church. And so we're never completely safe from thinking that, oh, you know, I can go to any church and just, you know, hear something and not hear it without some discretion, without, without checking it out and making sure, is that really what the Bible says? Which is why I've told you, I don't want you to ever take what I say because I said it and take my word for it. The Bible tells us that we are to be diligent in going to the Bible ourselves and saying, is that really what the Bible says? So just like physically, if you will, we, as Americans, now live in a day and age where we can never really say, no matter where we are, we are completely safe and secure in this world. Then we have to carry that same 
mentality, that same mindset with us all the time spiritually and make sure that we are monitoring the things we are hearing, the things that are being taught to us, the things that other people are saying, this is truth. And are we just taking it in and accepting it or are we checking it out? It's actually one of the things that makes our faith so valuable and so foundational because it actually can be checked out. We actually can go back into history and check these things out. So this is what he's saying in these first couple of verses. We are never completely safe, we must remember what the Word of God has said. That's what he says there. Recall, be mindful of the predictions of the apostles, even going back to Jesus himself. So what I'd like to do for the next couple minutes is let's just take a tour real quickly through the New Testament and check out some of these predictions that have been made. Keep your finger in Jude. We'll come back there in just a couple moments and start out with me in the Gospel of Matthew. To Jesus' own words himself, to his followers. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 15. And the reason I want to go to just several of these is to show us and remind us how prevalent these warnings are from Scripture and why we should be conscientious and mindful of these things, always on our toes. That's really what Jude is saying. That just like physically, we have to always be on our toes today. Jude is saying spiritually, we always have to be on our toes. You can't take a day off. You can't just become complacent. Because there's stuff that's flying into our heads and into our minds and into our ears at all times. And we've got to make sure it's true. And we've got to reject what's not true. And we've got to use our own good judgment that God gives us through the guidance of his Holy Spirit and through his word to know what is it that we cling to and what is it that we jettison and get rid of. So notice what Jesus says, Matthew 7, 15. Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. See, Jesus again says, you're not going to be easily able to identify them externally because they're going to come to you as if they've got your own best interest at heart. And that's one of the things about false teachers and false prophets. They will feign a personal interest in you in order to exploit you and in order to manipulate you. But inwardly, they are voracious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. If we just take the time to check out their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorns or figs from uh, thistles, are they? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree is not able to bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree to bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will recognize them by their fruit. Then go over with me to the book of Acts. To the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20. And I'm having a difficult time finding it. There we go. And I want to begin reading in verse 28 of Acts 20. 
Paul here is speaking, Luke is recording it. Watch out for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking here specifically to pastors, but what he says obviously has application to all of us within the church. To shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. I know that after I am gone, fierce wolves, there's that thought again, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Even from among your own group, men will arise, teaching perversions of the truth to draw the disciples away after them. Therefore, notice what he says, be alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I did not stop warning each of you with tears. And now I entrust you to God and to the message of his grace. This message is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Once again, a huge warning. And where is it taking place? Within the church. And then one other one. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3. And I want to begin in verse 14. Peter says, therefore, dear friends, since you are waiting for these things, the new heaven and the new earth and the consummation of the age, strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Why hasn't the Lord come back yet? Because he's waiting for more to come to him. Just as also our dear brother Paul wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him. Speaking of things in all his letters, some things in these letters are hard to understand. Things the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So notice what Peter says. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard that you do not get led astray by the error of these unprincipled men and fall from your firm grasp of the truth. I want to emphasize that. It is possible for Christians to fall from their firm grasp of the truth because we are not being conscientious enough. We are allowing false teaching and false doctrine and false prophets and false teachers to influence us, teaching us things that are contrary to what God has said. And it ends up causing lots of problems, not only in our life, but then we become a sort of a carrier of a spiritual disease ourselves that can negatively affect others. Notice the remedy. Verse 18. But grow, Peter says, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be honor both now and on that eternal day. Over and over again. And these are just three. We could have went to 23 passages that say basically the same thing. Warning us to be conscientious. To recall the word of God, the predictions of Jesus himself and the apostles about false doctrine, false teaching, false prophets, all of these things. And so that's what we need to do. We need to be conscientious. But if you go back to Jude and look at now verses 20 and 21, we also need to grow. If you and I are going to not just survive in the world in which we live, 
both physically and spiritually, but we are to thrive, then we not only need to be conscientious, we need to grow. Not stay where we are spiritually, but continually make progress. And in verses 20 and 21, Jude gives us four sort of directions for our growth. We are to grow in our understanding of the scriptures, the Bible. We are to grow in prayer. We are to grow in our experience of the love of God. And we are to grow in hope. Look at these with me in verses 20 and 21 of Jude. He says, but you, dear friends, in contrast to what I've just said to you, I want you to uh, build yourselves up. Take it upon yourselves. Make it your own personal responsibility to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. By praying in the Holy Spirit, maintaining yourselves in the love of God while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. Now, first again, notice that Jude is saying that it is every Christian's responsibility to grow. And that I can't point the finger at my pastor or, you know, uh, an elder or my parents or, or my child or my aunt or my uncle or whoever and say, well, it's their responsibility. No, it's all of our responsibility. We take responsibility for our own spiritual well-being. Now, obviously, God places within a church where we can have support and encouragement and, and the gifting of those that he's called to ministry, and we can benefit from that, but we still have to take responsibility to be a part of it and, and to gain from all of that. And the first thing Jude says is, you and I have to first focus our growth in this direction. We've got to make sure that we are building ourselves up on our most holy faith. Again, the word faith here is not that subjective trust or belief that we place in God, it is what we've talked about before. It is the body of revealed truth that God has given to his people. And it's not just a matter of, in verses 17 and 18, recalling these things and bringing things to mind that I already know out of God's word. It's a matter of growing in my knowledge of God's word, in my grasp, in my understanding, in the insight and wisdom that God's word will give. Read the book of Proverbs, read Psalms, how often the Psalms and the Proverbs teach us that God's word brings wisdom and insight. Over and over again, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Peter said, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow by it. It is up to us to make sure that we place ourselves in an environment where we are constantly growing in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, in the Bible, that we are immersing ourselves in it and understanding it more and more and gaining wisdom and insight from it. Psalm 1, a godly person, man or woman, is one who meditates upon the word of God day and night. You see. So, that's the first direction of our growth. The second one is prayer. Our prayer life. By praying in the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? It simply means praying under the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Letting Him guide our prayer life. What we're praying for. Who we're praying for. When we're praying for them. It's about praying in the strength that the Holy Spirit gives. It's about letting the Spirit enable me and empower me in my prayer life because 
prayer is going to be a battleground. It's going to be a fight. It's not something that comes naturally to any of us, even as Christ followers, because we want to sort of still live independently. And prayer is all about humbling ourselves before God and learning to live dependently upon him. That's why the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Because the proud want to do things their way, in their power, in their strength, in their wit and wisdom. And the humble are willing to come to God and say, God, I, I need you. I need insight that only you can give me. I need wisdom that only you can give me. I need direction. I need guidance. And that's why prayer is such an a, a instrument and vehicle and, and evidence of humility. I think that's, too, why even many Christians struggle with prayer. Because if we were honest, we have a lot of pride. And we still want to handle things our way and do things our way. And it's almost like, even though it might be unconscious, we're saying to God by never praying in our life or not having a, 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 a time that we really devote to prayer or even pray throughout the day, that, God, I've got this. I, I can handle all these things on my own. I don't need you, God. But Jesus even said, men ought always to pray and not to faint, to give up, to lose heart, to become discouraged. Luke 18, 1. And again, why I think there's so many Christians that are struggling even because we're not growing in prayer. It's one of the things that we want to do here at the Oasis is encourage you in your prayer life. Whether it's the group that prays for our service before on Sunday whether it's many of you who maybe meet during the week and pray together, whether it's sharing prayer requests and all of these things, all of us need to make sure. What did Jesus say? I want my father's house to be known as what? A house of prayer. I don't think there's any such thing as praying too much because the Bible says we should be praying without ceasing, always keeping that line of communication open. How do we do that? In the spirit. So we grow in the scriptures, we grow in prayer, we also grow in our experience of the love of God. Yes, God always loves me, and he loves me unconditionally, but notice what Jude says, maintain yourselves in the love of God. He's saying, it's got to go from a head knowledge about, yes, I know the Bible tells me God loves me, or as a little child, and even maybe still to this day, I go around singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's great. But am I experiencing that love that God has for me every day? Is it changing my life? Is it transforming me? Is it making a difference in the way I approach every day? Am I dwelling in the love of God? Am I drawing from the love of God? You see, am I delighting in God's love for me? Is it just, yeah, I know God loves me. Or is it, am I truly experiencing his love? You see, and that's something all of us need to grow in. We need to grow to the point where we truly know, and it's so real to us, that God loves us. I mean, think about even on a human level. I mean, you can say in your head, well, I know so-and-so loves me. But if they never tell you, they never show you, if, if there's no communication, if there's no relationship there, then what does it really mean? And God is saying, look, I want to shower my, I want to flood my love in your life, but I'm only, I'm not going to force it on you. 
There's got to be this reciprocal, mutual give and take in this relationship where you put yourself in a place where you can truly experience my love. And that's what Jude is saying. And so today, I hope that you will truly know God's love for you. I mean, twice even here in this passage, in verse 17, and then again in verse 20, notice again, he uses the phrase, dear friends. We could translate that Greek word beloved or divinely loved ones. He's reminding them, do you realize how much God loves you? It's not just words on a page. It can't be just John 3.16. I can quote it. God so loved the world. It's got to be, I experience it. And that's something all of us need to grow. And that only comes through our day-in, day-out relationship and relating to God on a personal level. That's how we grow in really knowing how much God loves us. And then we grow in hope. Notice what he says. Also, while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, it brings eternal life. He's talking there about a growing interest And wanting to be with Jesus and see Jesus and and have, you know, this time in history brought to a close and, and the start of eternity for us commencing. That's what he's talking about. I I, want to see Jesus. I I live every day expecting and and to go into eternity one day and to be with him and to see him. And and that's something that gives me hope every day that I can look past the the current things that are happening in my life. Because I know that better days and greater days are coming when God truly pours out his mercy on me. When it's not just a mercy that saves me through the cross and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But it is a mercy that is dispensed upon all of us because now God says, Now I want you to come and I want you to live forever with me in a place called heaven. A place where there is no more death and disease and and violence and crime. And where you will always feel safe and secure. And you'll never have to look over your shoulder ever again. These are the things God says will truly... And it doesn't come because we earned it. It doesn't come because, you know, somehow we measured up to a certain standard. And so God, you know, no, it was due to his mercy that all of this awaits us. All of it. Do we have a growing interest in seeing Jesus and being with Jesus and a growing interest in living for eternity and laying up treasure in heaven rather than on earth every day? Setting our affection on things above rather than things on the earth. That's what we need to grow in every day. Where the world has less to offer us and where what God has to offer us and what he has ahead for us is really where the focus of our values and where our choices and decisions wrap around. It's not about this life. It's about eternity. It's not just about what the world can offer us. It's about what God offers us. That's what's got our attention. That's what captivates us. If if it all, that's what we obsess over. Not the earthly things that one day aren't going to mean anything. Because as the Bible says, we brought nothing into this world and we're going to take nothing out. All of it's going to be left behind. But there are things that we can take with us. And that's what it means to Always be growing in our interest and anticipation and expectation of that day when we see Jesus.
See, we're not only to be conscientious if we're going to thrive, we've got to be committed to growth, especially in these four areas or four directions. Growing in the Bible, growing in prayer, growing in love, and growing in our hope. But then he says something incredible in verses 22 and 23. He says, but here's the reality too. We not only are to be conscientious and we're not only to grow, we are to serve others. And I'm going to add this. In the spirit of humility, we are to serve. Notice what he says. And have mercy, verse 22, on those who waver. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Having mercy on others coupled with a fear of God hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Let me start out by saying this first. Very important principle. And we see it on display here in this passage. Many times churches and Christians get it backwards. We're always saying, we need people to serve in the church. And we need you to step up and we need you to take this ministry and that ministry and to serve here and there without ever providing an environment for those same people who were calling them to serve to grow. And you'll notice something here. Jude says, we've got to make sure that all those who are serving and putting themselves out there and extending themselves to others are in a place where they are personally growing. Otherwise, they will do what many Christians have done throughout history. They will burn out. They will get discouraged. They will get hurt. And, 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 uh, and you know... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I can't even think of it now. But they will suffer, you know, some kind of sort of verbal abuse and they will be criticized and all of that. And so they just sort of shut down. And, and the only way that we will be able to serve effectively and minister in the lives of others is, first of all, if we're doing it out of the overflow of our spiritual growth. That's why, like here, I would rather see you commit yourself to growth because if you commit yourself to growth, there will come a point where you will just have this compulsion. You'll have to serve because it will be born out of your growth. It's not about me asking you to step up and serve if you're not growing because guess what? That's only going to end badly. Because if you're not growing spiritually, if you're not taking responsibility for your growth, you will get to a place somewhere along the line in your service and in your investment in other people's lives where you go, I'm done. I'm not getting enough accolades. I'm not getting enough, you know, positive feedback. Uh, Not enough people are encouraging me, whatever. And I get it. All that shouldn't necessarily happen, but the reality of it will. And so we've got to make sure that our grounding and our growth is what is fueling our service. That's one of the big things here. The other thing is this, going back to the whole concept of living in an unsafe sort of unsecure environment, whether you're talking about physically or spiritually, what many people consciously or unconsciously do is pull back. We become like that turtle that retreats back into its shell and says, because of the world I'm living in, no, 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 I'm not putting myself out there anymore. I'm doing just the opposite. I'm closing in. It's just going to be me and I'm going to protect, you know, my children and my loved ones. And and we're just going to sort of huddle over here together. And we're going to just hope that we don't get touched by anything that's going out there in that big, bad, cruel world out there. 
And Jesus does not call us to live in that kind of fear and with that kind of mentality. Jesus calls his followers in every day and age, no matter what's going on out there, to be a light. To let our light shine. And to make sure that as Christians and as churches, we're not retreating into ourselves, but that we're also out of our growth. We're making sure that we're extending ourselves out there and that we are messengers of God's mercy to those out there who are struggling. And maybe even messengers of mercy to those that we actually even go to church with who are struggling. Because notice that's the main thing that Jude wants us to get. Notice after he talks about the fact in verse 22, or excuse me, in verse 21, that we are recipients of God's mercy and we anticipate his mercy in verse 21. Then notice twice in verse 22 and 23, he tells us to have mercy on others. You see, it is expected of us that if we have received God's mercy, we should extend it and express it to others. Power of sin can only be broken by the mercy of the cross. We are to be messengers of God's mercy. Now, why this is so important, especially in our day and age, is because maybe unlike any time in history, and even amongst those who claim to be Christians and churchgoers, we have now created and lived in an environment where there's no extension of mercy to people. It's all about criticism. It's all about judgment. It's all about censorious statements and, and all of that towards other people. It's all about you know, putting ourselves up in our pride and looking down on those that are struggling and not extending to them any kind of compassion or pity or mercy at all. And God is saying to us, how do you and I think that somehow we're going to even have some kind of a, a conversation that could end up being a good spiritual conversation with somebody if they feel like I'm going to judge them because of what's going on in their life instead of being a messenger of mercy. Now, that doesn't mean, you'll see here, that doesn't mean that we throw away our standards. That doesn't mean we compromise the truth. That doesn't mean that we have to approve of what they're doing. That's clearly not what Jude's saying. But Jude is saying, I better extend myself out there in a merciful way instead of a judgmental, critical way. Because that will bring no one to me in order for me to be a messenger of God's mercy. And Jude is saying, did not you receive mercy from God? Do you not still every day experience the mercy of God? Isn't it interesting too, sort of our human nature, that when we mess up, oh God, please, Be merciful to me because I messed up. I want your mercy. When someone offends us or does something to us, God, bring the hammer down. 
fry them, God. Bring that lightning bolt out of the sky and just boom. That's the way we are many times. We want mercy for us, but we want judgment for everybody else. And Jude is saying, how can I, when I experience the mercy of God every day, not extend that mercy to others? Messengers of God's mercy. That's why he says in verse 22, have mercy on those who are wavering. They're experiencing some doubt. They they have maybe some sincere doubts or even some sincere questions about our faith. Maybe they don't even know the Lord yet. Maybe they've never, you know, accepted Jesus as their Savior, but they're not just like, you know, hard to get along. They sincerely have some questions or doubts. And all they want is somebody to lovingly extend mercy to them and instead of judging them, to sit down with them and maybe take the time to explain some things. Because there's always a difference in all of our lives between intellectual doubt and emotional doubt. And the people here that Jude's talking about have what I call intellectual doubt. Meaning that they have these reservations or doubts, but if you give them information and it makes sense to them, then they're like, oh, okay, I'm I'm cool. I've got that. That makes sense. I buy that. Emotional doubt's different. You can give someone who's struggling with emotional doubt all the evidence that you want. That's not going to change their opinion. Because their doubt is not fueled from just, I need more information in order to make it right. Their doubts are coming from primarily being emotionally driven. And you can give them all the evidence and all the backstory and everything you want. They're still dealing with an emotional problem, not an intellectual thing. And so Jude says, we've got we've to understand the people we're dealing with and know where they're at and be willing to put ourselves out there. There are many who may be wavering and God wants us instead of pulling back to to extend ourselves. God is asking us to do that as a church more and more. And he's going to give us an opportunity because I guarantee you, once the visibility of this ministry goes from this school to our own building, oh my goodness, people are going to start coming. And we better be ready to deal with them just like Jude says. Never compromising God's truth, but to do it in a non-judgmental, non-critical, merciful way. As long as I'm the pastor here, you have a need, you're struggling with something, there will never be any judgment here. This is a no-judgment zone. I'm not your judge anyway. I have no business doing that. And I need the mercy of God as much as anyone else does. So I better make sure that I'm extending mercy and compassion and pity towards anyone that I deal with. Then he goes on to say, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Some people are so entrenched in sin and whatever that Jude's saying, look, I'm not telling you to be careless. In fact, he says, I'm telling you to be very careful and cautious when you're dealing with other people. Because the last thing we want, Jude says, is for you to lose, in a sense, your own life or your own self by trying to help others too. That's never biblical. That's never God's will. I mean, think about it from a, this illustration. How many times has someone tried to go in and save somebody in a fire and ended up losing their own life? How many times have you heard of somebody 
trying to save a soul from drowning and they ended up drowning themselves. It happens all the time. It happens every year. And so Jude is saying, look, I think it's commendable that you as a Christian care enough, have enough mercy and compassion towards others that you want to help if they're willing, you know, for you to help. But just make sure based upon what they're involved with and how deeply they're entrenched in sin, whatever, that if you do it, you always do it with care and with caution. Because God never wants us nor expects us to lose ourselves in trying to reach out and help someone else. And then once again, he says, have mercy on others, coupled with a healthy reverence or respect for God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Listen, we can, we can in a sense hate and disapprove of what they're doing or what they do, but we've got to love the person. We've got to extend mercy to them. Because we will never build a bridge to them to be able to finally maybe see them cross that bridge to Jesus Christ if all they ever see in us is hate and anger and judgment and criticism. No, Jude says, that's not, that's not who we're to be in the last days. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And the environment we live in is never going to be totally safe on earth. Yes, we can feel safe and secure in the Lord. Absolutely. He is our refuge and strength. But in this world, the reality is this. There is no place where we can feel completely safe anymore. And Jude is saying to us, I want you to take that same mindset and I want you to apply it to your spiritual life. We must be conscientious at all times, knowing that we are never completely safe from false doctrine and false teaching and untruth out there. It's all around us. It's in every part of our society and even now has crept into the church. Jude says. Jude says, here's what we need to do, though. The best defense is a good offense. I remember that when I played football. Best defense is a good offense. Well, what's that mean? Grow. The best thing we can do for ourselves is take our own personal responsibility to make sure we're growing in the Bible, growing in prayer, growing in love, and growing in hope. And then, obviously, out of that growth, we're to extend ourselves and reach out to others. Because there's so many who are struggling. So many who need to know of God's mercy. And God is calling upon us not to retreat in these tough days. But to extend ourselves even more and be messengers of God's mercy. Will you be, will we be as a church, messengers of God's mercy? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are merciful to us. You are full of compassion. You know that we are but dust. So God, I pray today that the realization of the mercy that you've extended to us would be a fuel that allows us to be merciful to others. But Lord, also today, I believe that there are some here today that they need to receive your mercy. 
because it's been really difficult for them to extend or be merciful to others because they've never really received your mercy. God, I want them to know from you and through you and through your word and through your spirit today that you are a merciful God. You're not here today to judge. You're not here today to criticize or point the finger. You are here today to reach out your loving, nail-scarred hands and say, I love you. I love you. I have compassion on you. I want to come into your life and help you and support you and encourage you. Won't you come today and receive God's mercy today? And for those of you that come this morning, I'll be right up front here to greet you as you come. Would you come? Let's stand, please, as we sing this last song.